This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. It's a chilly morning. It's a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us this morning. An incredibly wild sports weekend with March Madness. Uh, More top seeds falling. Uh, There are no perfect brackets left on either the men's side or the women's side. Uh, shocking. Um, mine is an absolute mess. I lost one of my finals in the men's tournament uh, as Baylor went down yesterday. And uh, I still have three of my final four left, but uh, things are not looking good uh, to get there. Uh, as far as the women's bracket goes, a number, another one falls yesterday as a number one Stanford uh, gets bounced out of the tournament as well. We'll get to all that in a second. I want to take a uh, moment just at the top of the broadcast uh, to congratulate some old friends, Cromwell High School uh, in Connecticut, a team uh, that uh, I followed uh, while I was there. I used to broadcast a bunch of their games, um, and the Cromwell men's basketball team uh, wins a state championship on uh, Saturday, or excuse me, on Sunday, beating Ellington, uh, final 53-46. John Pannone, the head coach there, former player at Villanova, uh, great coach. It's the first title for Cromwell since 2018. They have won several state championships through the years. They're known as the home of champions, Cromwell High School. They've got all kinds of men's and women's basketball and, and baseball and football state championships. It, it's incredible. Victor Payne led the way, the junior. Uh, Cromwell went 25-2 and two this year. He had 23 points. Uh, Jake Salafia, whose grandfather uh, the gym is named after there, had 11 points in the game. Uh, but congratulations to Cromwell High School. I just wanted to uh, to recognize what they did. So in addition to March Madness, uh, it was just a crazy sports weekend. Uh, we had uh, we had hockey, we had basketball, we had uh, auto racing, we had everything. And um, and of course, I spent a lot of time watching baseball as I usually do. The World Baseball Classic. What I'm telling you, what to watch. And, and I guess we can debate whether the games are meaningful or not. But to watch games in March with the excitement that we had this weekend is fantastic. Um, that crowd this weekend was, you know, the two games that Team USA played was unreal to watch what they did when they beat Venezuela the home run by Trey Turner that place was ready to explode i that that atmosphere there you could argue was more electric 
than World Series games. And it's just uh, amazing. And then last night, Team USA just crushed Cuba 14-2. to Got, and I'll tell you what, you got to give a lot of credit in that game last night to Adam Wainwright, the uh, the aging veteran who got the start for Team USA, loaded the bases with nobody out and managed to get out of it with just one run and give Team USA, and because that could have been a, a crooked number very easily, probably should have been, so give Wainwright a lot of credit for getting out of that and then gutted out four innings. And then Miles Michaelis came in, pitched four great innings, and uh, Team USA wins this one easily. Turner homers again. Paul Goldschmidt homers. Cedric Mullins hit one deep. Uh, great. And now tonight it'll be Mexico and Japan to find out who will play Team USA. I fully expect that to be uh, Japan, and we'll set up a, uh, a Battle of the Titans on Tuesday night down in Miami. Um, as you probably saw, Jose Altuve got hit on the thumb on a ball thrown by Daniel Bard and has a broken right thumb. He needs surgery. He will be out 8 to 10 weeks, which obviously is a huge blow to the Houston Astros to start the season. But And, and of course, immediately... There were calls about, oh, we've got to stop this. That's two big injuries now with Edwin Diaz and and now with Altuve and, of course, Freddie Freeman, who strained a hamstring, had to leave the game, uh, you know. And, and at the end of the day, injuries are going to happen. How many guys get injured in spring training games? I mean, we talked about this last week, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. But when I go on Twitter and, look, people that I respect – one of my really good friends in the media, Mike DeMauro of the Northern Day, was like, hey, there's better ways to represent their country than playing in a game like this where somebody else is paying your, your salary. And Mike just doesn't get it. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, Mike, you don't get it. You don't get what it means to people. And, you know, it's easy for, for you know, old, bald, fat bastards like me to sit here and say, what a great thing and what a great way, you know, what a great thing to represent your country. It's another thing to have people, especially from all the Latin countries, saying that this is what we grow up dreaming of doing. There were guys that said that playing in the World Baseball Classic was more important to them than playing in a World Series. So you can't, you, you can't jump to conclusions and, and, and these knee-jerk reactions of, oh, we've got to do away with it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> I saw a great column this weekend. I can't remember who wrote it. I, I think it was, uh, it was somebody that, from the Daytona Beach News Journal. He said, you know, you can't blame the World Baseball Classic for Edwin Diaz getting hurt, for instance, as if he couldn't have gotten hurt, you know, playing in St. Lucie, as if Jose Altuve couldn't have gotten hurt playing in a spring training game in, you know, 
Anyway, he said it's like blaming the D.C. Theatrical Society for John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> I thought it was a great line, but it's true. Guys get hurt all the time in every sport, not just baseball. It's part of the game. Crap happens. Injuries happen. How about we, you know, if you want to you want to take it further, how about we tell guys that are uh, under contract in any sport, you can't ride a bicycle. Remember Chris Sale? You can't ride a motorcycle. Remember Fernando Tatis? You can't go skiing. You can't do this. You can't do that. All you can do in your off time when you're not playing for us because we pay your salary, all you can do is sit on your couch and watch television or go to the gym and work out. That's all you're allowed to do. Right? Which is ludicrous. It's also ludicrous to blame this tournament for these injuries because these injuries could happen anyway. I saw somebody else, and I can't remember who it was. Edwin Diaz could have decided not to play in the WBC, been sitting on his couch, right, when the Dominican Republic was playing, and jumped up in celebration after his team won the game and tore his patella tendon in his living room. Right? Because he didn't even, the thing with Diaz, he didn't even get hurt playing the game. He got hurt jumping up and down celebrating. Right? So, I mean, so let's, you know, let's calm down about not, uh, you know, taking the WBC away. Watching those games this weekend was phenomenal. And I don't know that the atmosphere will be as electric tonight with Japan and Mexico. Maybe it may be a pro-Mexico crowd simply because it's easier, I guess, for people of Mexican heritage to get there. It's a lot closer. But that, I mean, and last night even, you know, even though the USA crushed Cuba, I mean, that crowd was a 50-50 crowd last night because there's a couple of million people of Cuban descent living in the Miami area. And there were protests during the game, you know. And, and and they talked about this during the broadcast last night, how it's, you know, this is the first time that major leaguers have been able to play for Team Cuba, but they also limited who could play. If you basically, if you defected during an international tournament or something like that, Team Cuba wouldn't let you play. And there's other people that have come from Cuba that don't want to represent Cuba because of the dictatorship that's still in charge there. And I get that. I get that. But, boy, it was fun. It really was. Uh, when Trey Turner hit that home run, you know, because it looked like the USA was deader than Julius Caesar. Down 7-5 until Trey Turner uncorks that grand slam, and it was a no-doubter. I jumped up off my chair. Luckily, I didn't tear my patella tendon. But, uh, and this is March. March. You know, and now – you know, we go back to spring training, you know, after Tuesday and we go we start the regular season, which is great. But we're not going to see that kind of excitement again until October. I mean, I love baseball as much as the next guy, but having that excitement this early in the season was great. Absolutely great. Uh, one other thing I want to get to before we uh, start talking March Madness. Uh, I spent a eh, – I wouldn't say a lot of time, but – I read several articles over the course of the weekend um, whining 
listening to people, uh, golfers, rich golfers, whine about the fact that uh, the PGA Tour and the Royal and Ancient over in uh, uh, Great Britain has decided that they are going to change the golf ball for certain tournaments, and it will be up to some tournaments uh, whether they'll use that golf ball or not, that will essentially limit how far the ball will fly. It will fly an average of about 30 yards shorter than the balls currently do. And all we heard was people like Justin Thomas and uh, you know Bryson DeChambeau and all these other people just whining about it. Oh, it's terrible. You know, he said, well, you know, and Justin Thomas was, look, and I like Justin Thomas, but he's being a jerk. He said, what are they going to do? Make the length of a mile longer so the fastest mile time doesn't change? Are they going to put the NBA hoop at 13 feet because people can jump higher now? No, here's the thing. We've gotten to a point where golf courses can't keep up. You're going to need a golf course the size of Yosemite because of the way these guys hit the ball. You know, we've had golf courses that have had to buy property, adjoining property, uh, like uh, at Augusta, to lengthen the course so that it's it can remain relevant. St. Andrews had to move the tee on the 17th hole practically into out-of-bounds territory to add length to it to keep that hole relevant to what it was originally designed for. You know, there's a, look, some of the changes are obviously because of better training and higher swing speeds. I get all that. But there have been so many changes to the golf clubs and the golf balls. The equipment changes are what is driving, no pun intended, most of the, the changes in the game of golf. And it's easier to change the ball than it is to change the clubs. You're not going to get guys to go back to using wooden clubs. Can you imagine if Jack Nicklaus... Nardo Palmer had had the modern equipment when they were playing. Oh, good Lord. I'll tell you what, you know, if Sam Snead had that kind of equipment, Tiger Woods wouldn't even have been sniffing his all-time wins lead. He wouldn't have been close. Jack Nicklaus would have won probably 10 more majors. And, for, and then Justin Thomas says, well, you know, um, there's no other sports where the amateurs and the professionals play different equipment. Aha, you are wrong. Think about this. Baseball, perfect example. The pros play with wooden bats. The amateurs don't. High school and college are playing with composite bats, metal bats. Can you imagine if they let the pros play with metal bats? Guys would get killed. They'd have to have – look, Dodger Stadium, which is a renowned pitcher's ballpark, they'd have to back the fences up 40 feet, 50 feet to keep it relevant. So that is um, not true. There's a, big, there's a difference right there. Um, how about – when we talk about auto racing, how at the highest levels, you know, you're allowed one, you know, one set of horsepower or one set of specs, and at the lower levels, they don't. You know, they 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 scale it back because the drivers aren't 
as skilled, and people would get killed. And believe it or not, the sport of bowling. You and I go bowling, right? <laughs> a beer, you know, a beer league on Friday nights. The lanes that we bowl on are not the same as the guys the PGA uh, bowl on, because uh, they have completely different ways of preparing the lanes for for a pro, pro bowlers tour. That's like trying to bowl on a uh, you know a sheet of marble versus the friendlier. Uh, uh, lane oil that they use for the amateurs. So, you know, to say that that it's it's not the same or, you know, that, that, that golf is the only one doing that is a load of crap. Stop your whining. You know, it's not like they're changing the rules. All they're doing is cutting back the distance a little bit, and it's, it's overdue. It's gotten out of hand. God, I remember when a 300-yard drive was something to behold. Now, if you're not driving at 330, 340, people are like, wait, what's wrong with this guy? So, all right, that's enough of my soapbox. Um, NCAA tournament. Fairleigh Dickinson University, the second number one seed knocked off by a 16 seed when they knocked off Purdue. Uh, Their run ends yesterday. However, they lose... Uh, to number nine, Florida Atlantic, 78-70. It was a good game. Florida Atlantic pulled away um, at the end. But, man, what a story Fairleigh Dickinson is. The shortest team in the nation in Division One, In the nation. Not just in the tournament, in the nation. And they beat Purdue Friday night with a guy whose center is seven foot four. Unbelievable. Um and a shout-out to Tobin Anderson. Tobin Anderson, who graduated and played at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. I used to broadcast their game, spent a lot of time uh, in that, that gym. And uh, a guy that is a, a, a journeyman coach and comes over there and a team that was 4-22 and a couple of years ago knocks off a number one seed. That's what the NCAA tournament is all about, folks. Uh, and by the way, classless move at the end of the game last night. Uh, one of the uh, Florida Atlantic players with the game with uh, Fairleigh Dickinson just, you know, when the game was decided they were down eight with a few seconds left, they just, you know, kind of backed off and they were going to let Florida Atlantic run out the clock. Well, one of their one of their geniuses decides he's going to go in and try to do a uh, a tomahawk jam at the end to get one more bucket and an emphatic uh, finish to it and basically show up fairly Dickinson. Uh, fortunately, the kid missed the dunk, which I think is great. And at the end of, on, in the line, you saw the Florida Atlantic coach apologizing to Tobin Anderson. Just a classless move, but you know, kids they're stupid. Um, other great game I watched yesterday. Um, and I root for this guy. I love Tom Izzo, the coach from Michigan State. And uh, they knock off Marquette yesterday, and uh, they reach their 15th regional semifinal under Tom Izzo. And that is the most in the history of the tournament, more, one more than uh, Jim Beheim, who just retired. And uh, But what a great game. They beat uh, Marquette 69-60, to so they will head to uh, the Sweet 16 as well. University of Connecticut, 
wasn't looking so hot early in this game. They let uh, they let St. Mary's hang around, and then UConn just took over in the second half. What a second half weekend for UConn! In their opening game against Iona, I think Iona had a one point lead at the half, and then UConn came out in the second half in the second half and outscored Iona fifty to twenty four in the second half. Same thing happened yesterday. Uh, they were struggling with St. Mary's. They went in with just a one-point lead at halftime. They came out in the second half, outscored St. Mary's 39-25 in the second half uh, en route to a 70-55 to victory. So now UConn is back to its first Sweet 16 in nine years. Last time they got to the Sweet 16, they won the NCAA tournament. And Dan Hurley uh, uh, gets the monkey off his back to get his team to the Sweet 16. Adama Sanogo showed why he, why he is one of the best big men in the country. 24 points. He was 11 of 16, eight rebounds. They just couldn't stop him. And I'm telling you, the guy that I love on this team, and I can't wait to see how he develops, is Donovan Klingon. Uh, the uh, the seven, seven-footer from Bristol Eastern High School in Connecticut. Uh, 13 minutes yesterday. Four points, five rebounds, three blocks. Just he was the eraser in the middle, and in the f- first game against Iona, he was even better. Even better. So UConn moves on as well. Um, the Big East faring pretty well. Creighton still alive. Creighton beat Baylor, uh, and Xavier beat Pitt, and so three of the sixteen teams in the Sweet Sixteen belong to the Big East. Um. You know, uh, and now the Huskies have their hands full. They have Arkansas. Arkansas knocked off the defending national champion Kansas Jayhawks yesterday. Uh, Arkansas in eight seed, so you'd say a four versus eight. UConn should have the advantage here. I'm not so sure about that. And on the other side of the bracket in the West, it's Gonzaga and UCLA. That one should be a fun one. And so the winner of that one will take on the winner of UConn and Arkansas. I had Kansas, by the way, going to the uh, Final Four. So that was the first Final Four team I lost. Um, I still have – or no, actually, you know what? I've only got two of the Final Four. That's right. Baylor lost yesterday as well. So my bracket is an absolute mess. Um had a big upset in women's basketball in the NCAA tournament last night. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a chilly Monday morning. Only 19 degrees. 19 degrees. I need to get outside and do some work but uh, on the uh, on the old chicken coop this weekend, but or this week, I mean, but... Uh, it's not going to happen until it warms up a little bit. We're supposed to be at 80 degrees by Thursday. Can't happen soon enough. Today's the, by, by the way, isn't today or no, today's the last day of winter or is today the first day of spring? I can't remember. It's one of those things. But uh, uh, the women's tournament, you know, usually the women's tournament is a lot easier to call um, because there aren't as many upsets. But with the um, change uh, in the kind of the balance of power a little bit and where teams are a little bit uh, closer together. We've had a few upsets. We haven't had a ton. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, the, but the biggest one, the biggest shocker was last night. Number one, Stanford loses to Ole Miss. 
Ole Miss an eight seed takes out one of the top four seeds, and now Ole Miss will go on to play number five Louisville uh, in the round of 16. Uh, I had Stanford going to the Elite Eight. I had them losing to Iowa. Uh, I still think Iowa-South Carolina is going to be a, a fun game as long as there's no upsets between now and then. Other than that, you know, pretty much the only other big upsets, Florida Gulf Coast knocked off number five Washington State this weekend. Uh, so now they will go on to play uh, number four Villanova. And, uh, and then Toledo, a 12 seed, knocked off Iowa State. And then the only other upset really uh, was number uh, – it wasn't even much of an upset, really. It's a number eight, an 8-9 game. South Dakota State knocked off USC. University of Connecticut ran through its uh, first game against Vermont like a hot knife through butter, which is what everybody expected. Um, look, you know, I, I, this isn't to denigrate, you know, what Vermont – did this season, and I saw a comment from a, a college friend of mine that kind of was getting on the uh, announcers or the studio hosts about you know when they when they were talking at halftime about the game, why weren't they saying anything nice about Vermont? You know, and uh, look, you know, and I'm not again. This is not to say anything against Vermont, but that was a game where there really wasn't anything. To say that game was over long before halftime, that game that game was never in doubt. You know, and it wasn't like they were trashing Vermont; they just kind of <laughs> they just kind of ignored Vermont, I guess. You know, but at the end of the day, uh, UConn did what UConn was supposed to do, and now the Huskies will go on to take on Baylor. Baylor, who survived a game against Alabama. Baylor was down 18 points in the first quarter to Alabama and came back to win that game. Uh, that was a heck of a win. So now UConn will take on Baylor. They played Baylor, if you remember, a couple of years ago um, when they played, and UConn won that game by a point on a non-call late in the game. What's at stake? Uh, UConn trying to make its 29th straight Sweet 16. It's just, uh, it's just phenomenal when you think about it. I mean, it's kind of like you know, this year they they lost their first time they lost back to back games in like 25 years or something. You know, that just shows how dominant this team has been. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Last time UConn played Baylor, they had a different coach. It was Kim Mulkey who is now at LSU. Well, now it's Nikki Collin. Uh, she was a former coach with the Atlanta uh, Dream of the WNBA. Um, and they had a decent year, but they did not win the Big 12. They actually had their streak of 12 consecutive Big 12 regular season championships snapped this year. Uh, and they may not be as good as they have been in the past. They are still a very, very good team. So UConn's going to have its hands full. UConn 30-5, and Baylor 20-12. and That game is at 9 o'clock tonight. On ESPN, there's some other great games to watch tonight. Uh, number four, Tennessee, looking like they are going to have a, a a favorable path to the Sweet 16. You would think taking on Toledo and uh, Texas, the number four seed taking on number five Louisville. That should be a good game. That is at seven o'clock on ESPN. And then the late game tonight, another one I'm going to be 
interested to see how that one comes out. UCLA, the number four seed, is going to take on number five Oklahoma. That is a 10 o'clock start. They're, they're killing me with these late starts. Absolutely killing me. But that's where we sit with the uh, the NCAA tournament. It has been uh, – uh, I haven't been able to watch as much of it. You know, usually it's like the game start at noon. I don't move from my chair uh, while I'm watching it. But it's so many things to do down here, I haven't had time to watch them all as much as I have in the past. Mostly it's been in, in the evenings because I find myself outside a lot during the day. Uh, spring training baseball, the Red Sox win yesterday 9-5. to Who cares in that the Red Sox really played none of their uh, regular – position players, but they still put up nine runs against the Phillies. Uh, again, concerning, Nick Pavetta got the start. And, uh, you know, he went four-plus innings. He gives up four runs, four hits, including two bombs. Now, one of the home runs he gave up um, was because of the wind. It was a very windy day. But Reese Hoskins hit one that was crushed. And then he gave up, a, you know, one that uh, the wind helped out. But he struck out five. He walked to. He's going to get one more start in the spring. And he said that he feels like his arm strength is good. He's ready for the season, yada, yada, yada. But here's the deal. In all the starts I've seen, I think I've seen him make four starts. There's only been one of them where I've said, hey, that's pretty good. You know, this is a guy that, you know, right now, right now he's probably the number three guy in the rotation. Or the number four guy, regardless. But they need better performances out of him in the regular season. And I know I don't, you don't want to go crazy about spring training, but I haven't seen much of Nick Pavetta that gives me hope. Hope I'm wrong. I'll tell you what did give me hope. Brian Bayo pitched yesterday, made his first uh, spring training appearance. And granted, it was against some uh, Phillies minor leaguers. But uh, the first inning, he struck out two guys. One, two, three innings. It was six up, six down. He threw 25 pitches, struck out three guys. Looked great. Uh, And, uh, you know, look, this is a guy that got off to a bit of a rough start with the Red Sox last year. But down the stretch, he was really, really good. Uh, And since he got shut down early, if you remember, he had that forearm problem and they shut him down just to make sure he was okay. But since he's come back, uh, he has said there's been no no discomfort or anything, and he looked great yesterday. Now, you know, again, you can't read too much into it. It's, it's Phillies minor leaguers. But, look, this is a guy that is going to be in their rotation this year. Because of the issue with the arm, he's probably going to be held back a couple of weeks. He'll probably pitch one or two more times for the Red Sox before opening day. Then he will probably pitch in a game in the minor league complex, and then he may start the season in AAA, uh, make a start or two down there before the Red Sox bring him up. They're going to be very careful with him, as they should. Um, But uh, he looks like he is on track. Um, The Red Sox will play today. The game is on Nesson. It's at 105. They will take on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Garrett Whitlock. Another guy is important, whether it ends up being in the rotation or whether it ends up being uh, in the bullpen where I think he belongs. He will make his first start of the spring today uh, for the Boston Red Sox. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, injury news for the Red Sox. Joely Rodriguez uh, left the game on Saturday after throwing a pitch and uh, 
Not sure exactly what is going on. He grabbed his right side. It looks like it could be some kind of an oblique issue. Uh, so they're already saying that uh, even before the, he has the test, they anticipate he's going to open the season on the injured list. He was supposed to be uh, part of that bullpen. So now that opens up a spot for either Ryan Sheriff, a guy that the Red Sox got from the Tampa Bay Rays, or uh, uh, Odenir Mosqueda, who has looked pretty good. I mean, again, it's only it's a small sample size. Young kid, 23 years old, but in uh, six innings this spring, he's given up just one run and he struck out seven guys. Uh, Ryan Sheriff has looked really good too as well. Um, so that probably opens up a spot for them. The other good news, uh, Justin Turner, who, of course, as you remember, got hit in the face, ended up with 16 stitches, is going to return to the lineup for the Red Sox today. Uh, he will be the designated hitter in that game. So that is a good sign for Boston as well. Hopefully for Turner, um, there's no uh, – I don't want to call them yips, but there's no uh, uh, hesitation. You know, I mean, it would be natural for anybody who takes one in the face like that to be a little bit gun-shy at home plate. Hopefully that is not the case for him. So we'll have to keep an eye on that today. Uh, Corey Kluber is going to pitch in a minor league game today. They want to keep him on his regular schedule. Uh, and with Bayo and Whitlock coming back, that's taking up some uh, innings that he might have otherwise had. So Corey Kluber will pitch in a minor league game today. And uh, Yu Chang is expected back in Sox camp. He's had some uh, visa issues coming back from the WBC uh played for Chinese Taipei, and he has had some issues getting back into the country, but hopefully uh, uh, that will happen today. Uh, the Boston Bruins last night, or yesterday afternoon, I should say, holy smokes, um, didn't get off to a great start in their uh, road trip. Lost back-to-back games in regulation for the first time this season. Well, they bounced back, and uh, after blanking Winnipeg on Thursday – 3-0. Jeremy Swayman follows that up with a 7-0 shutout of the Buffalo Sabres yesterday. Uh, so the Bruins come back from that road trip 3-2. and 7-0. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, that that goalie tandem of Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman has been unbelievable. Uh, Patrice Bergeron got the scoring started yesterday, 15 seconds into the game. Matter of fact, the Bruins scored three times on their first seven shots. So that game was over in the first period. It was, uh, and then they just piled it on in the uh, in the fourth. A lot of goals scored yesterday. The Rangers uh, won by a touchdown over the Predators. They shut them out 7-0. The Vegas Golden Knights put up seven on the Columbus Blue Jackets yesterday. I mean, I, I, the goalies, the goalies were under fire yesterday. But the Bruins now with 111 points on the season. Uh, they are now 13 points clear of the Carolina Panthers for the best record in the Eastern Conference. And uh, even more than that, the best record overall, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights in the Western Conference with 92 points on the season. 44 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. NBA last night, a uh, handful of games yesterday. Uh, most significant, I guess, would be the Lakers beating the Magic 111-105. to So the Lakers right now hanging on to a playoff spot. They are in that uh, uh, last position for the uh, play-in series. Uh, they are actually tied with Minnesota and a half a game ahead 
of the Utah Jazz. Of course, the Celtics helped out the Jazz a little bit this weekend. The Celtics had a healthy lead over the Jazz on Saturday, ended up blowing that game. Uh, if you read the Boston Globe, people are losing their minds and the sky is falling with the Celtics. The Celtics now have fallen to third place in the Eastern Conference. They're technically tied uh, in the standings with the Philadelphia 76ers, but the Sixers have a, a percentage point lead over the Celtics right now. And look, Joe Mazzula, the the coach of the Celtics, one of the things that uh, that he likes to do is he doesn't is, is he likes to let his guys play. He doesn't like to overman or to overcoach, and he doesn't call a lot of timeouts. As a matter of fact, some might say he doesn't call any timeouts. And there's a part of me that likes that. You know, I, I mean, I think at times coaches lose their minds a little bit, but having been a high school and college coach, I know there are times when the sky is starting to fall and that you can feel the momentum uh, tilting badly where you need to take a timeout. And Joe Mazzula hasn't done that. And uh, so there are people that are suggesting that he needs to consider uh, taking more timeouts and, like, when guys like Jason Tatum struggle, take a timeout get in the huddle, and say to some of these other guys like Jalen Brown or whoever and say, hey, somebody else needs to step up here. We can't expect Jason Tatum to carry the freight all the time. Now, he's done a hell of a job doing it all season long. Um, but, you know, maybe Joe Mazzula needs to sit back and think about his strategy a little bit and maybe take a few more timeouts. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, again, um, these guys are pros. I, I understand sometimes, especially in college or in high school, I mean, there are times when you need to take timeouts and you need to calm kids down because they don't, you know, they're they're excitable. They don't, or or you can see the body language change on young kids a lot more than you can in the pros. The pros are pros. At the lower levels, at high, especially in high school, when you can see when things start to go bad, you can see the shoulders slump and you can see kids putting their heads down. Not that they give up, but they feel it's like, oh no, here we go. And you need to take the time out to to calm them down. I'm not sure it's as necessary in the NBA, but um, you don't see many coaches with Joe Mazzula's strategy where you know he, he just lets his guys play. So I can understand why some people might feel that way. Uh, football news yesterday. The Carolina Panthers continue to make moves. Of course, after uh, making the move to uh, get the number one overall pick yesterday, they make a trade. Um, I shouldn't, yeah, uh, reached a trade uh, or free agent agreement, excuse me. It's like having a stroke on the air. Uh, Adam Thielen, longtime receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, is coming to the Panthers. Now, he caught 70 passes last season, 716 yards and six touchdowns, and that isn't so much an indictment on Thielen, you know, and it's far down from the numbers that you expect from him, but it's more about the fact that Minnesota found a new go-to guy in Justin Jefferson, and Thielen kind of became uh, receiver number two, you know, where he, for years, he had been the guy. Well, he signed a three-year deal with Carolina. He now immediately becomes the most experienced wide receiver on that team. Um, after, of course, they traded D.J. Moore to the Chicago Bears as part of that deal to get the first-round pick. Uh, look, he's been a couple of Pro Bowls, and, uh, you know, this is after they signed Miles Sanders, tight end Hayden Hurst, and they got Andy Dalton to back up whoever quarterback that they draft, and now we'll wait and see. But the Carolina Panthers are not messing around, and it looks like with Frank Reich as their new head coach, 
Uh, they are going all in here and trying to retool that roster. Another big wide receiver trade yesterday. Uh, Brandon Cooks is coming to the Dallas Cowboys from the Houston Texans. Uh, Houston is going to get a fifth-round pick in 2023 and a sixth-round pick in 2024. Uh, Cooks, 57 passes for about 700 yards and three touchdowns in 13 games uh, with the Texans last season. It's his third year in Texas. Um, he, uh, I, If I'm not mistaken, this is now the fourth team Brandon Cooks has played for in uh, his career, and he's only 29 years old. Of course, he played for the uh, New England Patriots for a while too, but he joins – uh, a receiving core of C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. Uh, Dak Prescott is going to have a lot of weapons to throw to, and considering the way the Cowboys season ended, uh, they're going to need that. But Cooks has six 1,000-yard seasons in his eight-year career, uh, and which is his 8,600 career yards is 11th amongst, amongst active players right now in the NFL. And finally, from yesterday, we're going to get out of here a couple of minutes early, uh, Joey Logano wins the race. Uh, in Atlanta yesterday, the NASCAR race, Logano, of course, uh, from Middletown, Connecticut. But he calls Atlanta his second home when he was, I think, when he was 9 or 10 years old. Uh, his father moved the family down to Atlanta so that Joey would have more opportunities to race. And so that is where uh, he kind of cut his teeth uh, competing in Legends races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Now, the Speedway has been reworked. It, it runs more like a super speedway now. Great race yesterday. Uh, Logano led 141 of the 260 laps, but he had kind of gone back in the pack after leading most of the first two legs of this race. Uh, at one point, he was all the way back in like 13th place, uh, worked his way back up to the front, had to make a pass on the last lap of the race to win this one. So the defending NASCAR champion uh, wins his first race of the season, and then NASCAR will move to Austin, Texas uh, for a road course next week, the Circuit of the Americas, which is coming up next Sunday. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call as long as I don't fall off the roof of the chicken coop and break something uh, as I go out to shingle it this afternoon. We leave you with some music from Jenny Gill, the daughter of Vince Gill. This is called Whiskey Words. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.